0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast designed to give all of us the inside scoops of life in our church. Uh, I have today a first-time podcast guest, uh, a somewhat long-time staff member, though, named David Michaels. David, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. Um, Let's start off by... uh, orienting all of us to a little bit of your personal background, so help us understand who you are, where you come from, family stuff, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm uh, 45 right now. I've been married for 16 years to my wife, Sherry. We have uh, three kids. We've got Owen, Ella, and Finley, and uh, I've been attending Southr- Southridge for over 10 years now. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. tell the
0: story about how you ended up at Southridge to begin?
1: Yeah, for sure. Did um, you guys live in the falls? Did you always live in the falls? No, we, we started off in St. Catherine's, then we okay. moved, and we've been all over, it, actually, all in right. Niagara at this point. Um, so our, our family was attending another church, and we were really feeling the push um, from God to have more, actually. That's kind of what we were feeling, was we wanted more engagement more just hands-on somehow um we had heard about Southridge and we really tracked with the idea of being hands-on with the marginalized that was like a really big draw hearing about an in-house shelter just sounded fascinating and we just loved it so um uh, one next step uh slash discover Southridge event we were in we were sold yeah. we bought into it and uh we just immediately loved that like heartbeat and dna of Southridge and the mm-hmm. vision of what was happening mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that eventually translated into uh, you ending up on staff. Do you want to talk about that yeah. story? Yeah. Uh, we just found you <laughs> <laughs> on the street corner or how'd that work? Um, partially. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> it, it feels like that some days. Yeah.
1: No. Um, it's a really great God story, actually. Um, I volunteered for a time in the shelter at the front desk, um, but stepped away as our kids were being born. Um, every time we spoke about the shelter ministry on a Sunday morning, I really felt God prompting me to connect again. Like it, it was just coming through loud and clear over and over. It was actually a talk from Greg Paul from Sanctuary mm. had come at one point. Um, I think it was about like six years right. ago now. Yeah, I remember that. And just felt and the, absolute, gifts of the poor. yes, felt absolutely gutted by the end of it. Just hearing what he was talking about and just feeling that disconnect from the shelter, just wanting to be back in it. And, um, uh, But as those promptings were coming, there was always someone coming alongside me, whether it was another volunteer or the staff that were at the shelter that were still connected with me as friends and um, staff in the larger church population. They were just always encouraging me to take those next steps. And so it all basically kind of came together when there was an opening on the floor. And um, Chris and some other former staff shelter members really encouraged me to put my name out there. So I I did start off part time on the floor and then a part time um, housing first spot came up. When that second part came up, making a full-time job, I took the opportunity to step away from a job I had been at in a completely unrelated field for 17 years, and just... Wow. Yeah. The rest is history. The rest is history after that. And uh, we were talking before the
0: recording uh, that you, you came from a, a training background, actually, in the radio
1: world. Talk about that. Well, more. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I initially started off in school for broadcasting, and... Uh, yeah. It was just funny how life takes you on these different paths. Didn't actually end up in that career either. Ended up in like a hospitality kind of thing. And yeah, it took this great leap when it feels like, like there's a song that I, I really enjoy that says, uh, 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 talks about, uh, swimming until you can't see land. And that is certainly what this has felt like that. <laughs> I really went out there, but knowing that God had my back and yeah, all of it was yeah. kind of the interesting part.
0: Well, if you wonder who our next host of this podcast is going to be, you're listening to them now. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they say some of us have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, That would, that, uh, that would definitely be that true way. of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, knowing that you've served in, uh, like you said, a, a few different uh, aspects of our shelter ministry uh, for a number of years now, Uh, we want to have a a conversation today where you just help us understand some of the dynamics about serving Mm -hmm. the homeless and ultimately trying to eradicate homelessness in Niagara. Uh, uh, First things first, um, knowing that we've been in this world now for about a decade and a half, why does it feel like homelessness continues to be on the rise even though we're kind of throwing so much at it, investing so much into it and trying to
1: do so much productively. Why is it still on the rise? Um, well, I think here there's a couple reasons for that one. One reason might be just overall in Niagara at the moment. Um, I think we've seen a shift in the visibility part of it in St. Catharines in particular um, in the past. we had a, And we still see it. We have what we call hidden homeless uh, people who are couch surfing, staying with friends, renting hotel rooms, um, and that generalized imagery we picture of someone um, homeless sleeping outside in a park, in a tent, panhandling, it, it's definitely been in the media coverage too. There's been a lot more media coverage yeah. around this idea of homelessness. So I think it's just kind of been at the forefront. I don't know if it's expanded more, um, but in another way, like... So it may have always been just as pervasive a need, but but a
0: greater degree of hidden homelessness compared to now that being more exposed. We're just becoming aware of the true scope
1: of an issue like homelessness in our community. Right. And even touching into that media coverage, I think we've all seen um, uh, the talk about affordable housing and the crunch that's out there. Yeah. There's not much availability. And then when we have prices that are going through the roof... Whether you're a renter and you see rent going up every year or a home buyer or a first-time home buyer stepping into that market. So as that market gets harder to get into, we're just pushing more and more people out, and then you end up outside. Yeah, yeah. Right. if you think about what a house was worth 10 or 15 years right. ago in
0: Niagara when we would have first got involved in serving the homeless versus what a house is worth or what rent goes for these right. days, for sure, uh, the inflation of those values is disproportionate compared to the inflation of... Social assistance. Exactly. Right. So the, the money that people would have to pay for rent is actually fractionally less mm-hmm. <laughs> than what it used to be. And so that only intensifies the need in right. a lot of ways.
1: Even two years ago, I think when I, two or three years ago, when I started in Housing First and we were searching with people to look for places, we were seeing a rent since 750. Well, now it's 900, except that your pay rate on social benefits has not matched that. Right. Right. right? If
0: you didn't go from 800 a month to 1,000 a month. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, in, in an oversimplified way, I know that there's a lot of individual specificity and nuance and complexity, but w- what
1: are basically the main reasons why a person finds themselves homeless? Right. So uh, affordability and availability are huge in Niagara. That is a massive uh, a part of that. But then there's a multi-layered, complex mix of other factors that are at play. Um, they can include events like a, like a traumatic event, say so if there was a fire or something that happened in your life. Um, You have relationship and family breakdowns, which is actually um, a leading cause for sure. Mental and physical health. If you've got substance use issues, discrimination, a list goes way beyond that initial financial piece. Imagine having like one or two of those factors stacked up in front of you and then add up systemic problems that we have out there, like inadequate discharge from a hospital or jail or mental health facilities with no follow-ups and support. I imagine trying to take all that stuff stacked on top of the money piece itself.
0: It's interesting that you mention that because I've, I've learned only recently that one of the main, I don't know if you'd call them feeders, but one of the main uh, kind of circumstantial drivers for homelessness is actually the lack of follow-up support right. from hospital releases or release from jail or the detention center. Right. That those two specifically just kind of You know, spit people out on the street and don't because they don't have any follow up. You just have to to wander with nowhere to go, and that that yeah, realizing that again kind of awakens you to what's actually going on around Mm -hmm. here. Um, Given your experience in this now. Uh, what would be some of the most important or kind of noticeable things about the condition of homelessness that most people who aren't involved in it day-to-day typically don't know or aren't aware of?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of people uh, would really focus on that money piece right away. We would think that's the number one factor. But um, every two years, the region does uh, what they call a point-in-time count to try and assess how many people are out on the street homelessness. And they ask people how they ended up that way. And the actual number one was a family breakdown. That conflict, violence, was actually what was driving people to end up losing their housing over and over. It wasn't money. It wasn't lack of that. It was actually that loss of connection. They had no place to go anymore. They did not have someone that was caring for them.
0: Hmm. Uh, Now, moving into the the kind of remedy or the antidote that we're trying to provide as a church, um, I think one big misconception is that all we are around here at Southridge is an emergency shelter. Um, Talk about why emergency shelters on their own are not enough or do not eradicate homelessness in a community.
1: Yeah, tough question. (laughs) I thought about that one quite a bit, actually. Um, So shelters don't eradicate homelessness because of the temporary nature of the state. That's that's just the reality. It's time-limited. There's so many people in our community. We can only help for that that small stay. Uh, The beds are for an emergency stay only when other options are exhausted and the other option is unsafe. It just, we don't have enough time and we're not... We're not providing that next stable spot. This is just temporary. Right. That's short just term, and, short and, term and
0: temporary. Yeah. So what is the role that
1: an emergency shelter can play? Yeah. So an emergency shelter can play a, a pivotal role for a launching pad for change in many ways. So we'll use Southridge as the example. Our approach is functioning as a community hub by bringing in community supports for residents to access. Uh, this could be a place where those thoughts about rehab or recovery take a, a step forward. Say uh, we have someone that comes here every Friday from Community Addiction Services of Niagara all day for people to connect with. Well, if that person wasn't here at the shelter for them to connect with, they would have to make the phone call down to make an appointment. It might be a week or two to get the appointment. That's if you've got a phone to make that right. call in the first place. Then they'd have to get themselves there. And they've got to get themselves yeah. there. It's the next part. Yeah. And all of those things feel like barriers, even going downtown to where the, that office is. That could be a trigger for those old haunts, those old friends used to hang out with downtown when you did use, so then you don't go. So the beauty of having somebody in-house here where they can just walk across the hallway and connect, that's that chance for that change to kind of start to
0: begin. I yeah, used a phrase that I hope our members listening uh, heard and, and can track with, and that is the community hub. Right, uh, That's something that I know Southridge has tried to be real serious about in, in the world serving the homeless, is to actually kind of broker partnerships with other service providers. And uh, uh, last time I, I understood there was something in the neighborhood of like 28 or something service providers in Niagara alone to serve the homeless. And if there are 28 different facets of how to help a person in a condition of homelessness, but like you said, every one of them is phone calls and appointments and car rides or walks downtown through a bad neighborhood to Mm -hmm. get to um, that, that capacity to receive that kind of holistic support becomes exponentially more difficult than if you bring all of those services together in close proximal environments right. and that's what an emergency shelter can provide mm-hmm. in addition to just the we call it the three hots and a cot in yeah. addition to just the sheltering if we can serve as a community hub mm-hmm. then we can bring some of those supports to a to a person um, co- I guess a, a critical question for this conversation and I know one that'll drive you into where your wheelhouse really is David is what does it mean to be a housing focused emergency shelter? Uh,
1: housing focus has been like a hot topic, kind of a, a buzzword in the past couple of years for yeah. shelters nationally. It's uh, essentially a strategy towards throughput, meaning folks experience shorter uh, shelter stays. The idea is to keep talking about housing, helping with housing searches, assessing people's needs for various housing program options, whether it's a transitional housing program. Uh, supportive measures like housing first or homes for good the idea is to keep it at the forefront since the first problem is the lack of housing uh we've had it put to us to kind of think of it like a car dealership so you're there to buy your new acura you go to the dealership and everywhere you look is signs branding talking about the deal talking about the vehicle so you kind of keep it the same idea in the, uh, the shelter world so the talk is housing you know um If somebody was to come to the shelter and say, um, you know, I I don't like being around all these people. Well, you know what would actually help you with that? Housing. Yeah. Why don't we search for housing? Let's just keep that at the forefront right now.
0: I I love this language, especially when you're talking about the the desire to ultimately eradicate homelessness, because uh, I think one of the kind of systemic problems uh, has been that the way I've understood it is the phrase... the industry of homelessness, Mm -hmm. right? People who essentially make their livelihoods off of the chronic problem. And there actually is some, at some level, some advantage to not eradicating homelessness because it kind of keeps you in business. The cool thing about a housing-focused shelter is it lives with this posture of ideally and ultimately not wanting to be in business, mm-hmm. that, that what we believe is best for a person of homelessness is to be housed. And so this is only temporary and only kind of artificial in that sense. And it keeps what ultimately helps the person on the foreground. I love right. the, the sign posts at the car dealership, that kind of, uh, idea. And, uh, so just talk a little bit about the difference between, because I, I know that there are, are diverse models, the, dif- the difference between a housing-focused shelter and a shelter that's focused exclusively just on sheltering.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, we had the opportunity as a team to attend a talk from Ian Deong, who is a, a nationally recognized expert in homelessness, uh, runs a group called Org Code that's really focused around um, shelter transformation. And he has some really challenging, deep questions for us to think about as a shelter along the lines of is your shelter a process or a destination because when a shelter becomes a destination it can inadvertently keep people in that cycle of homelessness mm-hmm. kind of like the industry talk yeah. that you're, you're sort of getting at there and you can kind of understand it in a certain way you're fed you're cared for you have community around you if you're focused only on sheltering there, there can be a tipping point where it's it's too comfortable for somebody so our, our goal is to kind of balance both then in some ways, while being housing focused and helping to resolve that, our core Southridge DNA is to still care for people, to be there and walk along beside them. Um, that's kind of where those two differences come from. Like you, while you're trying to be housing focused, you just want to keep that care going too yeah. in some ways. Yeah. But yes, that, that thought about a process or a destination was really challenging thinking, actually, you know what? There, the shelter can be a destination for people sometimes. Hmm,
0: That's great. Um, It kind of segues us into now your world these days, and that is the the reality that around here in our St. Catharines location, beyond the emergency sheltering of people, there actually are other contributions that we make Mm -hmm. into the lives of residents. And uh, so talk about some of the other ways that we come alongside and support people being housing-focused.
1: Right. So we have a couple of different, um, I I guess, processes and systems that are within the shelter um, talking about like what our coaches do. So we've got a couple of coaches on staff. Um, We have Brooke and Michelle who act as uh, essentially system navigators. They're here to assist residents and former residents towards uh, supports that are out there in the community because we can only know what you know. And like you said, when you've got 28 agencies out there... um, I've been here for a couple of years now as staff. I still learn every day about, Oh, there's this thing I can access this Mm -hmm. thing that I can help somebody and point them towards. And would that be the first kind of support person that Mm -hmm. a resident on intake would interact with? They would be the first support person. Yes. Um, and, and they're going to help them with some of those basic building blocks. They're going to make sure that you've got an application in the NAGA Regional Housing. Um, you know, Hopefully, they're down the road, while it's a long lead time right now with uh, the structure of that housing, it's, it's somewhere in the neck of 13 years is the wait list right now. We want to make sure people have at least got their names in because there's quite a bit of paperwork, and that alone can be a barrier for someone. So Brooke and Michelle are helping people with stuff along those lines. They're helping um, along the lines of lot replacing lost and stolen ID because right. you're going to need yeah. ID to fill out that paperwork. Uh, same with the bank. The yeah. bank is going to ask you for ID. So we, some of those basic things right away, getting you connected to a doctor in the area. Um, uh, the coaches are just like a wonderful wealth of knowledge. Any one of those items um, for you and I would be uh, a bit of a challenge too, to go and find a doctor is a bit of a gamble. But when you've got to find a doctor at a dentist and this and this and this next thing, and I've got no ID. So the coaches
0: at the first level are kind of basic life supports and uh, preliminary system navigators Mm -hmm. to how to get out of the shelter in this process vision. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we've got this whole department uh, that we would, kind of referred to as the coaching and the housing first right. department. Talk about what housing first is about, because mm-hmm. this is your wheelhouse. This is my days, wheelhouse. Now. Yeah, uh, definitely. Here
1: on our staff. Yep. So housing first is a uh, program that was first developed in the nineties in the U S um, but it really only came to Niagara in the last five to six years. So the old thinking used to be in the homeless community that uh, we would have someone in shelter and we try to get them sort of cleaned up or qualified and then stable, code, stable yeah. with the hope of finding housing. So what this group in the States did was actually completely inverted that. They just like turn the record over. Let's look at it a different way. What if we just do housing first as a basic building block, and then we'll stack those next things. Like we'll work towards rehab. We'll work towards getting better mental health right. support. We'll stabilize yes. them once they're housed,
0: as opposed to stabilize them as a prerequisite to getting housed.
1: Exactly. So it actually feels like a really cool dovetail into Southridge of the whole idea of meeting someone right where they're at. That's what Housing First is doing. So essentially in the program, um, it's for people, there's a couple of qualifications. You need to have had 180 days in shelter, or you've had to have three ins and outs of the shelter in a, a short period of time. Um, what we 've seen generally is I could probably qualify almost any of my friends in the shelter for this program, and then um, they get a caseworker where they meet every week and we work on those goals afterwards after we have find housing we 're going to walk alongside each other trying to find the housing and they get a rent subsidy from the region to, so that they 're able to meet market yeah. rent and then you get some say in like where your place is going to be in b it used to be that we would place people in housing too and that, um, uh, say if you're struggling with some addiction items, maybe living downtown is not the best place for yeah. you. So in this program, you have choice. It's client-driven, and well, we also it schools. sounds like have
0: some some relationships that are emerging with mm-hmm. landlords, with an e- even uh, entire apartment units, uh, and things like yeah. that. And so now you become more of a broker of opportunities right. in that regard that provide people choice and kind yep. of help them get housed first. It's mm-hmm. really uh, in the in the overall process of a housing first uh, approach, uh, is cool to watch. Now there's a couple other terms and I'm not even sure that I have my head around them completely. So describe for me what home for good, means. That's another buzzword.
1: So home for good is essentially, if you want to break it down to its easiest way to digest it, it's housing first on steroids is what it's often put as instead of having just a single caseworker, you've got a whole team. It's really for the hardest to house, that are coming out of this homeless community that have multiple complex issues that are happening so instead of having that one worker you're going to have um, a landlord engagement specialist who's just going to tackle just the housing issue you're going to have an addiction support worker right on that team working with you directly you're going to have an occupational therapist who's going to help you on those day-to-day needs and how do we how do we make this house work how do we how do we cook for ourselves what's it like to be a good tenant and have that. So you've got those people and they're meeting you with you every week. Sometimes in Home for Good, it's uh, more than once a week. Uh, another term that is uh, super cool these days in this housing
0: first approach is a term called diversion. Mm-hmm. This has been newer now to South the last six months or so. Mm-hmm. Talk about how diversion works.
1: Yeah. So diversion is probably the one that is the most challenging to think about. Because when you say diversion, it sounds like what we're saying is, no, you cannot come stay at the shelter. That's not (laughs) it at all. That's repulsion. Yeah, yeah, it's repulsion. That would be a different one. Not diversion. Pardon me. Um, So right now, yeah, we're running a a, uh, pilot program with our staff, Rachel, who's taking the helm on this initiative. Um, So using diversion strategies is to, you're assisting people who are imminently at risk of losing their housing to maintain that current housing or find alternate housing solutions without having to come into the shelter. Um, This reduces new entries into the shelter and preserves the, the precious shelter resources that we do have for those who are most at needs that have no alternative So diversion is not about saying no to service. Diversion is about saying yes to helping a person with their service needs without requiring a shelter stay. Yeah, it's an interesting step in the process because it happens basically before
0: or right on intake, Mm -hmm. where instead of just saying, welcome to South Ridge or welcome to the shelter, it, it first of all asks are there options for you to be housed? Right. And tries to navigate that preemptively so that in some cases, and I don't know if you've got the numbers for the last month or so, but they, they've actually been pretty remarkable where mm-hmm. a certain percentage of people we would formerly just receive at the shelter instead on intake have been able to be diverted back into housing and not require emergency shelter at all. Right. You talk about eradicating the need for emergency mm-hmm. shelters, and in that sense, helping eradicate homelessness like diversion has been a major consequence contribution
1: mm-hmm.
0: to that so uh, if you have numbers you can share yeah. them i can't remember <clears throat> them but
1: yep i do so uh, like you said so yes yeah, so rachel her one of her first questions is going to be where were you last night and where were you a week ago so we can kind of wrap our heads around actually what is happening here yeah so it has been really interesting in the past couple of months while we've been doing it it's actually landed somewhere in around a 20 percent rate of diversion so one in five people... Yeah, a 20% rate in diversion. 20% rate. Yeah. One in five people who are calling the shelter and saying, I need a bed, actually, in fact, don't need a bed. They might need help with something, yeah. but not They the need bed. assistance
0: and support right. finding housing other than an emergency shelter bed. But at the exactly. end of the day, with that support, that diversion support, uh, they don't necessarily need to occupy a bed. in a In a world where it sounds like in the last month or two since we've been experimenting with this you know, formerly we were running at capacity, Always. 55 beds a night, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, lately we've actually had capacity for the first time in literally years. Exactly. Which is, uh, again, pretty cool to see in the contribution that your whole team is, is making here. Um, kind of final move that I want to uh, get into a little bit on behalf of all of our members, you know, as we listen to all these stories, we, we know that there are places for people to get involved in serving the homeless in the shelter. And we know that there are places for people to get involved in the programs that we have mm-hmm. around the shelter, the rock climbings and the Euchre Nights and, you know, things like that. Are, are there ways that people can, in, can get involved as volunteers to contribute to people experiencing housing in these other kinds of ways?
1: Yeah, we've been talking about having... Um volunteers help facilitate even just those online searches. It's not that everyone who comes in has got access to a device to do that search or maybe even the skill set to actually pursue how to apply to a, a place. So having a volunteer do the online search or have them help somebody fill out a application, that would be great. That's something we've really um, trying to get started right now.
0: Yeah. Literally just to call a timeout. out, literally just to help people fill out forms. Right. Like the, the amount of paperwork in these worlds is like there is
1: a, a immeasurable <laughs> as a great bureaucracy, we have definitely made it hard for people yeah. to fill out and require um, someone who is transient to have a number of forms yeah. on themselves and just all to just to kind
0: of show up hey i 'll contribute a couple hours on on a weekly rhythm mm-hmm. or something to just help fill out forms. another yeah. great example mm-hmm. any other official roles or you know, even just practical functions
1: where volunteers could come and help your team serve the homeless? Well, we, I know, just uh, checking with our volunteer coordinator, I mean, we always are going to need kitchen help. We're always going to need stuff like that. But um, even in the last while, we've had some really cool inquiries from people who are um, uh, legal law uh, lawyers yeah. who have shared like, actually, maybe there's a way I can connect and provide some direction as to when someone says they're evicted, are they really evicted? Do they really understand, again, hmm. the paperwork that they were given yeah. by tenant boards or a landlord or what their rights yeah, are? Landlord That's Tenant been, Act. Yeah, yeah. Super complicated piece of government documentation. Yeah. So really great stuff like that, like having someone come in who has that expertise or even someone who actually is a landlord, even if it's a couple like student rentals, you still have great insight into how this could work and how you could help somebody out.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I'd want our people to be aware of is, you know, you talked about one of the reasons people stay in shelters is because it's the one place where they find community, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, citing that one of the reasons people end up homeless is because they've lost community. Right. As a church, I would say the thing we can contribute more than any skill set, more than any time or energy or whatever, is the love of Christ with skin on in the form of caring people who will provide community. Mm-hmm. So help us understand how someone can come alongside a resident or former resident once they've been housed, because once they've been housed, they still there. there's still a need there mm-hmm. among all of the stabilizing inputs to provide them support. Um, they still lack community and can still really benefit from community even or
1: especially in that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it might be something even just as simple as that invitation of what do you do in Sunday morning? Or we always invite our former residents to come back for those programs that we have. Like you said, rock climbing and the amount of people that uh, come for those evening events that have not been in the shelter for years, but this still feels like home. This still feels like their connection. It's beautiful, and they walk alongside somebody who might be experiencing their first bout of homelessness, and they just to see that compassion amongst all people is really cool. Like, I read this great book in the past couple years by this Father Gregory Boyle um, from LA, who's got this um, yeah Homeboy uh, Ministries exactly Homeboy Ministries. So wrote this great book. Had this great quote that says. I, what we're seeking here is a compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry, rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it, hmm. right? And just to think about that, yeah. like, let's just go alongside somebody in this moment. Uh, it's it's beautiful, and to see those those program nights like that come together,
0: yeah, amazing. Um, in this whole system that we're into these days, I know that there's been some preliminary conversation about like super center. Type of shelter, you know, a, a construction big construction project mm. or something in the future. Um, can you just, as we kind of wrap things up, can you can you give us a bit of your perspective on what the point would be in investing all kinds of resources into upgraded capacities to shelter
1: people if ultimately sheltering isn't the goal? Right. So that is the dream. We have talked about it as a a team quite a bit in the past couple of years, just as a a blue sky meeting kind of idea if everything was great. So the goal is always going to be to break the cycle of homelessness, to get outside of that industry of homelessness that you brought up earlier. So what if we could leverage our property in a way that allowed us to serve residents with dignity and also bring on-site housing into the mix. What if we were a provider of housing in some way? Could that be part of a, a center like yeah, that? Interim transitional mm-hmm. housing yeah. options. Could yeah, could we have a, a mix of those? Could we have the transitional? Could we have a, another couple floors that are at market rent? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Like it would be a really Yeah, even supportive housing kinds of situations yeah, for people exactly. with you know, additional care needs.
0: Anything else along those lines? Because I know that that's going to, in the years to come, that's going to be an emerging conversation. And I imagine everyone wondering, hey, if we're housing focused,
1: (laughs) why would we build more, you know, non housing kind of kind of? So I mean, part of it would be it'd be really cool to have to expand all those spaces that we're already offering, where our friends from Casson can come in here and meet somebody on site what if we get to more than just Chuck on Friday? What yeah. if our doctor that runs the Reach Clinic, what if he could actually have, instead of just a small meeting space, what if he could provide a magic. bigger medical room of some kind to provide service that people aren't getting yeah. right now?
0: In addition to the multiple options of transitional housing, the idea behind an upgraded shelter really tries to max out this hub model that you talked mm-hmm. about. And instead of having you know, sparse little areas for the service providers to come alongside residents on occasion. If we could have spaces for many of them to Mm. work together in proximity, you know, more real time all the time. Right. Uh, we feel like we could really raise the game of how we serve the homeless and ultimately contribute to trying to eradicate homelessness in Niagara. Uh, any final encouragements that you'd want to share to our members just on the challenges of, of making this kind of difference in our community?
1: Yeah. Um, my encouragement would be that it can be done because there have been other communities across Canada who have effectively eliminated homelessness, that through these supportive programs, through coming alongside people, you're able to do it. And I feel my sense is that we're on that right now, that the region is committed to it, Southridge is committed to it. I know God is guiding us um, through all of this as we dream bigger ways to help resolve homelessness. And we just have to be careful in that to not let God get tiny. Like God has got our back mm-hmm. in this, and we have to keep Him ever present at the forefront.
0: Amazing! Uh, thanks so much for sharing today. Oh, you're I uh, I've been so inspired in the last number of years when I hear people, uh, you know, conducting investigative reports and surveys and things who come back and say, "Of all of the service providers, Southridge actually may be the best positioned to eradicate homelessness in Niagara." Because of the hub model, because of the housing first approach, and the leadership that you and so many of the members of our team provide is just a beautiful picture of body parts in the body of Christ, pouring their gifts and their passion Mm -hmm. into a specific kind of contribution that is really game-changing for people again and again and again. So it's amazing to be part of and to watch. Gang, if you're listening and your heart is inspired to get involved in this, contact David or other members of his team to find out how you can contribute. But uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care.